Welcome to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today we're going to discuss one of the Yoga Sutras. The Yoga Sutras was a text written by Patanjali, who was a great ancient sage. Yoga Sutras are written about 2,000 years ago. I'd like to talk about Sutra 133, and the sutra goes like this. By cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy, compassion toward the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard toward the wicked, the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calm. The sutra is very interesting because it seems so obvious to be friendly toward the happy and compassionate toward the unhappy. But so many times in life, we do the exact opposite of that. Take, for example, the first part of the sutra. Cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy seems pretty straightforward. But if we really take a good look at ourselves and our actions, We may all find that there have been many examples in our lives where we have not done this. In fact, we've done the opposite. Opposite feeling of friendliness toward the happy, for example, is envy or jealousy. I know for me, I've always really struggled with doing handstands in yoga. Everything else in yoga has come easy to me. But handstand has been the hardest and one of the last things to come. Even after 15 years of practice, I still do not free balance in the middle of the room without support. Yet I have many students who have easily done handstands or almost mastered handstand in just a couple of years. For me as a teacher and a supporting, loving mentor to many people, I've really had to work with not feeling envious of my students' ability to do this. And so I really ground myself in this idea of friendliness toward the happy. I try to put myself in that person's shoes. How would I want my teacher to respond if I was able to achieve a posture that they were never able to do? In my heart, I know I would want that teacher to respond with support, loving kindness, and also perhaps a little bit of recognition for all of the hard work I've done. So friendliness toward the happy is the art of being kind, being open, and being aware of where our blind spots are around that when it comes to being around others who potentially have things that we want that we don't have yet. Cultivating attitudes of compassion toward the unhappy is likewise almost as challenging Think about it. Many times when there's an unhappy person around us, instead of us being compassionate, we tend to get irritated by that person or we tend to mirror back their unhappiness towards them. My partner's been going through a lot of pain with his foot and at times that can lead him to feel all kinds of uncomfortable feelings, claustrophobia, sometimes even irritation at very small things that normally wouldn't bother him at all. And I've really grounded in this sutra of compassion toward the unhappy. And it's not that he's an unhappy person, but in those moments of pain, happiness is not the first thing on his mind. If I respond to his irritation with more irritation, I'm not being compassionate towards him. Rather, I'm lacking compassion and I'm moving from a place of hyperreactivity. Hyperreactivity is basically a term that denotes when we emotionally are out of control. And any time we're not responding to the present moment from a place of presence and awareness of how we're feeling 
and understanding how to sift through what is ours and what is not, we're in a hyper-reactive state. So compassion toward the unhappy asks us to be responsive rather than reactive. And the ability to be responsive is the ability to basically sit with what we're feeling based on this external stimulus we're receiving. And rather than just jump to the first reaction that comes to mind, we actually choose our reaction consciously. So for example, in the past, if someone reacted towards me with anger, my tendency would be to get angry back. And that is a reactive state. Now, after many years of working on this within myself, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, it's a work in progress. But now, if someone reacts towards me with anger, I actually pause. I take that energy in for a moment and I decipher, how do I want to respond to this from a conscious state? And I often visualize myself. If I were recorded right now and had to see my behavior played back to me, would I feel good about how I acted? And if the answer is no, I wouldn't feel good about acting that way, then I don't follow that. Instead, I follow in my heart what would feel best. If I had to see myself played back to me, and I had to sit with that feeling of observing myself, how would I behave? And so a lot of times when we talk about implementing compassion toward the unhappy, this is not a bed of roses. This is not an easy thing to do. I remember one night I was closing the yoga studio that I work for and there was a homeless man outside sleeping in the doorway and I didn't know he was there and I went outside to bring the rug in that we used to have sitting on the door. By the way, it's been stolen now like four times over so we no longer have a rug by the door but back when we did have a rug by the door. I went to bring it in, and this homeless man who'd been drinking, he reeked of alcohol, um, he was laying on the rug. And so I kindly opened the door, and my first response was irritation, but I immediately identified that rising up, and I chose to be patient. And I said to this homeless man, I'm so sorry that I have to move you, but I need to bring this rug in for the night. And this homeless man jumped up, started screaming at me all kinds of profanities, and he even said, I hope you die. And then he proceeded to stand in the middle of the road and scream at me, I hope you die, for like five minutes. And as he was walking away, he was still screaming profanities. And I was a little bit blown away, but not surprised, because these days nothing really surprises me anymore. Because so much is um, influx and so much transformation is happening on the earth and in all of our lives. But in that moment of that homeless man screaming at me, I hope you die, instead of yelling back at him and reciprocating that energy and feeding that fire and just reinforcing to him why he hopes I die, why I'm a horrible person for needing to move the rug, I just chose to take a deep breath, quietly bring the rug in without saying anything. I had love in my heart for that homeless man because I identified that he was suffering and that what he was yelling at me had nothing to do with me. Maybe that came from a childhood wound from 50 years ago. We may never know. But one thing that we can know is that nothing is ever personal. So when that happened for me to experience my own heart and my own compassion, I chose to be aware. 
And that was a moment I was really proud of for myself. Because in the past, even five years ago, I probably would have yelled back at him. I probably would have reciprocated his unhappiness. So rather than reciprocate unhappiness and keep that chain of destruction going, this Yoga Sutra is telling us, have compassion toward the unhappy. No matter how much you might want to respond in kind, if you can summon the willpower, summon the awareness through your own self-mindfulness, your own self-awareness, you can shift that energy by being in your heart dropping into that place of loving kindness now that doesn't mean i wouldn't hug the guy hell no that would be destructive to me but it does mean that in my heart even when i see that homeless man to this day i remember that experience and for just that little brief moment that i drive or walk by him in his cart full of his belongings i send him love because I know that that is how we actually create lasting change in this world. Not by reactive individuals fueling the fire. That's actually how we create war. The way we create peace is actually by being at peace with everything ourselves. And then reflecting that peace even to those who are not peaceful. The third part of the sutra says to have delight in the virtuous. And this is quite similar to to um, friendliness toward the happy, but there are a few small differences. So any virtuous action or any virtuous person here is what this is referring to. So take for example, maybe you've had a really um, hard year and maybe you've behaved in ways that you're not always proud of. Maybe you've been dishonest or maybe you have done something to hurt someone else. But then perhaps you're feeling bad about yourself. And then you come across someone who's been in their total light. They've been volunteering at the hospital, helping people in many ways. Maybe, you know, a big hurricane came through their town. And instead of staying at home and baking cookies, they've been out helping people bail water out of their businesses, helping their friends in whatever way needed. And maybe you come across that person and you're not feeling good about yourself. Can you still be happy or delighted in that virtuous person's actions? So many times when this kind of scenario arises, instead of finding that delight for that person's goodness, we disdain it or we scorn it. We roll our eyes and we say, that person has ulterior motives. That's why they're doing all that. And it's very easy to dismiss that person's virtue, right? So kind of the opposite of delight is dismissal or scorn. And whenever we carry that energy, it's very similar to an envy energy, um, except it's like envy in combination with wanting others to feel bad. And, you know, that's another reactive state. And I would call that reactive state projection, Projection is basically whenever we're feeling a certain way inside and we don't claim it, we actually project it or put it out that someone else is making us feel that way. And something I learned years ago from one of my metaphysical um, energy healing teachers is that nothing we perceive outside is actually outside of ourselves. Everything we perceive and 
give a definition to or give meaning to is based on our own consciousness. So if I'm having a bad day, if I'm feeling not good about myself and I go out in the world, the world will affirm that for me over and over again. I won't get a good parking spot. I might have a homeless guy yell at me for some reason that I can't figure out. I might get into a disagreement with a client. It might be so minor, but yet it might affect me on a really deep level. If it's the opposite, if I'm having a really great day, if I'm feeling totally connected with all of life, when I go out in the world or I interact with my partner or my family or my friends or total strangers, the world mirrors that good feeling. I get the best parking space. I hug all my students and feel their love. I teach a really great class and people come and tell me so. I have a great yoga practice and I feel like I'm actually good at something, right? And so whatever our energy is within ourselves is what the world shows back to us. It's all a big mirror for us to see. So this idea of having delight in the virtuous is kind of hinting at this idea that whatever we feel inside is what we project onto the external. And delight in the virtuous helps us start to shift our way of thinking and saying, you know what, no matter whether you're having a good day or a bad day, can you be delighted? Can you be overjoyed when you see someone doing what is right? When you see someone holding the door open for an elderly woman with her hands full of groceries, can you smile at that person and think, wow, amazing, thank you. The world needs more people like you or do you hurry up and shove by that person and think yeah another do-getter whatever they have a good life I don't if I had a good life I would do those things too when the reality is doing those things is actually what creates a good life you don't get handed a good life and then think now that I have a good life I'll do good things it's not like that at all. In fact, the best thing you can do when you're having a bad day or a bad year or you don't feel good is actually to do something to make others feel good. If you're having a hard emotional day, instead of pushing that on the others, see if you can dig deep and find your joy regardless of that. Because we really want to bring our own joy, our own love, our own awesomeness to the table no matter what the external circumstances are and if we really tune into our innate which means born in built in ability to bring joy to the table to bring delight to the table no matter what we are experiencing we start to really embody this third part of the sutra and then when we see good actions, we can commend them. And we can remember that what we see in others is also mirroring an ability or a tendency that we ourselves exhibit. So when we make it a habit to find delight in the virtuous actions of others, we make it a habit to continually look for the good in others. We start to ingrain this in our way of thinking. So especially this is really applicable if there's someone that you don't get along with or you don't agree with. Instead of picking them apart and saying all the things they're not 
and complaining about all the things you don't like about that person, you want to dig a little deeper and think, what is one thing about this person that is really fucking beautiful? What is one thing about this person, even if they don't like me back, what is one thing about them that shines out that only they can do? And if we get in the habit of acknowledging that we don't have any more enemies, suddenly there's no one we don't like. There might be aspects of someone we don't like, but those are aspects of ourselves we don't like shining out through the mirror of our own projection. So delight in the virtuous, it's a deep one. Get in the habit of looking for the good. And when you're able to do that for others, the magical thing is, the perfect thing about this is that you get in the habit to doing it towards yourself as well. So many times in life when we receive compliments, especially women, we push them aside. I see this actually in myself. My partner will tell me I look beautiful and I'll list to him five reasons why I don't look beautiful. And that's really self-sabotaging. That's something that I have done because I feel uncomfortable perhaps in acknowledging my own beauty. And how many of us can actually relate to this, right? So let's get in the habit of this. If someone tells you you're beautiful, you don't even have to say anything back unless you want to, of course. But let that compliment be absorbed within you. Let yourself acknowledge the beauty that you carry. Because it goes both ways. The more we can acknowledge our own beauty, our own virtues, our own strengths, the more capable we become of seeing that within others as much as possible. The fourth part of this sutra says, cultivate attitudes of disregard toward the wicked. I personally like to rephrase this a little bit, just for my own mind. It makes more sense if I say, cultivate attitudes of equanimity toward the wicked. Now, the word wicked is also a rather sharp word um, for most of us, because who determines who's good and who's evil, or who's wicked and who's virtuous? Well, it's all really in flux. It's a matter of perspective. So I like to look at it like this. If you can't win an argument with someone, if you can't convince someone that what they're doing is wrong and they keep in their course of action, then in that moment, that person is wicked, at least to you. So take a small example, a day-to-day example. Let's say that you get into an argument with your loved one. Maybe you and your sister or brother aren't agreeing on something. And let's say this argument starts to elevate. Maybe you're fighting over money. That's a pretty common thing that siblings disagree about, especially if it's family money. I know this has happened a lot um, on my father's side of the family. If you can't seem to get your point across, and if no um, approach with communication is working in helping shift the scenario, then the best thing you can do is step away. And it might not necessarily be in the form of running away per se, but sometimes stepping away is just pausing even in that scenario with the person you're disagreeing with and just taking a minute of mindfulness, perhaps around sitting and feeling your breath or pausing and literally saying to that person, okay, we're not gaining any ground here. We both don't agree on something right now. So let's just pause and sit with each other. 
And that's a really powerful way to move from a reactive state um, where it's just two wickeds fighting into a more responsive present moment state of awareness. And really finding this ability to remain equanimous no matter what the scenario is one of the main points of most yoga and mindfulness practices. It's, you know, equanimity comes when we really dive deep into the internal witness, which is always situated inside of ourselves. The willingness to move into the witnessing state comes from a place of emotional maturity, meaning you understand that whatever emotions are arising within you are not permanent. And through that understanding, we can identify that the emotions are just like passing clouds. They do not constitute the entire sky of your awareness. So whenever a strong emotion is arising, say in a disagreement about money, for example, rather than continuing to feed the fire and create an all-out war with the quote-unquote wicked person you're disagreeing with, instead we move into a space of heightened awareness. We start to move to the center of ourselves. We start to look for that place within ourselves that feels calm and easeful and observant no matter the external circumstances. And the more we practice doing this, the better we get at doing it. So initially it might be very hard. It might take us to have that disagreement, walk away, and then be like, wow, I could have really just chilled out for a moment and we probably could have resolved this a little bit more easily. So disregard toward the wicked does not mean dismissal because dismissal actually fuels a different fire. It creates a passive-aggressive energy within ourselves and also the other party will usually reciprocate that. And that makes it to where you have to run from that person when you see them in town. Or if you see that person's car parked at a restaurant, you probably wouldn't want to go in there because there's a lot of unsaid energy that's pent up. So disregard or equanimity toward the wicked, first of all, acknowledges, at least in my mind, that the wicked is, of course, a variable circumstance. No one is wicked in their heart of hearts. In fact, all of us are the same emanation of divine energy. And in our heart of hearts, we're all connected through that seed of the divine within ourselves. So our ability to find equanimity toward the wicked also means to find equanimity towards our own wicked thoughts. For example, if we're really angry with someone and we want that person to suffer or feel bad for some reason or another, that could be seen as a wicked thought. That's a thought pattern that if acted out through actions could create a lot of destruction and unnecessary suffering. One of the commitments we want to make to ourselves as spiritual practitioners is to not cause more suffering than already exists on this earth. Rather, we can attempt to be the healing balm for all of that suffering. Sometimes it's really hard to do that, especially when we're in a scenario that affects our life directly. So I'm not saying be docile or passive or be a pushover. I'm just saying that whenever a scenario is arising and a solution isn't coming up right away, it's better just to pause, sit with what you're feeling, sift through the external layer of that emotional quality until you touch that part of yourself that feels equanimous. And you settle your awareness within that equanimous feeling 
within yourself. From that place, all of the mental clouds, the emotional clouds that obstruct your clarity, suddenly you see them for what they are, passing clouds of emotion that will shift as soon as you let go of attaching to having that feeling. So the moment we are able to let go of attachment to how we're feeling is the moment that anything that's not serving us can fall right off of us. And it only takes a few seconds for this to happen if we actually implement total non-attachment towards these feelings. But the only way in my experience that we can find non-attachment is if we find equanimity. Equanimity is the ability to remain even keeled no matter how much the emotional waters may rock your boat. It's the ability to be on this quote rocking boat and even if you feel the motion of all the rocking, even if you feel the fire of your anger, even if you feel the weight of your sadness, it's to still in your heart of hearts be totally centered within witnessing the experience unfold. The opposite of witnessing basically is to drown in your own emotional waters. And this is something that most of us do our entire lives. We become victims of our own mind rather than masters of our mind. And this idea of cultivating disregard or equanimity toward the wicked really tests our ability to not be a victim of our own emotions. Because emotions are just like the changing tide. One moment we're in total love and joy. The next moment we hate the same person and want to run away from them. If we continually follow those surface level urges, then our life will be one of suffering because we'll always be running away or running towards. And as long as we're running, there's no rest or peace in it. Rather, running is a way of avoiding our core issues. Running is a way of not facing what we need to face for our own spiritual evolution. And sometimes that might mean facing another person who we don't agree with or who doesn't like us at all, who we might consider wicked or not good or even worse. The ability to face these individuals or even to face these wicked emotions that rise up within ourselves, comes from our ability to be truly mindful, to sit with what is arising and rather than clinging to it, to just allow it to flow through us the way water would flow down a stream bed. Notice the stream bed never clings to the particles of the water. The grass is gr growing alongside the stream. Don't hang on to the water for fear that more water won't come. No, the grasses simply flow as the water passes over it. And through their ability to let go, that's their given state, of course. The water can move, and whatever's dirty just washes on by. And whatever serves the grass to grow, it naturally nourishes the root, and the grass continues to grow. And this is a metaphor for our own emotional qualities that we are capable of experiencing as an incarnate being. If we are 
able and willing to let things flow through us without attaching, then whatever serves us will stick around. And whatever doesn't serve us, whatever is destructive in our own lives or others, will fall away. Because we are naturally drawn to the inherent goodness and the inherent virtues within ourselves and others. So to cultivate equanimity is to cultivate inner peace. So again, to repeat the entire sutra that we've covered in this podcast session, session number one of the Walking Dharma, Yoga Sutras 133. By cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy, compassion toward the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard or equanimity toward the wicked, the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calm. So the sutra says if we can implement these ways of thinking, living, and behaving within our day-to-day life, our mind remains at peace. And this natural calm that resides in the witnessing state within us eternally becomes our day-to-day norm. This undisturbed calm becomes our emotional status quo. So even if a strong emotion rises and we need to release it in some way, we become capable of doing that in a way that doesn't harm others or ourself. If we live our life in a way in accordance to this sutra, then suddenly the world will mirror back the same kind of energy so that when we reach a major milestone in our life, when we achieve one of our dreams, we will be surrounded by people who are excited about it, truly supportive, truly friendly in their own energy towards our happiness. And whenever we're having a bad day and we feel like the world doesn't understand, if we continue to live our life in that way of finding compassion toward the unhappy, guaranteed, Someone out there will find compassion towards you, even in your darkest moment, even in a moment that you're not proud of, even in a moment that you wouldn't want anyone else to see. My prayer is that you will have people in your life that can witness you and hold space for you until you're able to shift out of it. So may we all live our life in a way that is full of loving kindness, delight in all of the good, And whatever you perceive as bad in others or yourselves, just move to the equanimous state and realize that we all have the capability of exhibiting the full range of emotions in this human experience. So the more supportive, loving, and kind we can be to others, the more we receive it in kind. Because this is the very basis of the law of attraction. Your vibe attracts your tribe. And the way you live your life, the way you think, eventually manifests the reality that you experience. So if you want to receive love, give love. If you want to receive compassion when you're suffering, be compassionate to those who are suffering. If you want all of the good you've done in this life or that you're doing right now to be acknowledged, if you want others to be happy for you, to delight in it, then delight in all the good others are doing, even if you are not capable of doing that same good right now. And likewise, whenever something comes up that you can't win that battle, don't even try. 
Just move away from it and retain your peace. Because when it comes down to it, the way we end all the wars on the earth, the way we create true world peace is first by maintaining and cultivating our own peace within. Thank you so much for listening to the Walking Dharma podcast. I'll be back next week talking more philosophy. I wish you a beautiful, blessed day. Aloha.